You know, the world wants to shut you up. The world wants to shut up your spirit, the Holy Spirit in you. All week long, the world is trying to shut you down. The enemy's trying to shut you down all week long. And I feel today there's some weariness in this house. I feel like there's weariness. And the Lord is saying, you know what? You declare to your spirit that you're free. You do not give in to what the world's trying to do. The enemy's trying to shut you down, but greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And, I, and you are here. We gather together to be reminded that we're not alone. We're not alone, and we are victors. And you know what? You are strong and courageous. Don't give in to how you feel. Some of us are giving in to how we feel. We're letting our feelings dictate to us where we're at spiritually, and that is not true. That's a lie. That's a lie. You dictate, you let the Holy Spirit dictate what the Word says about you. Not your feelings, not your emotions, not your circumstances, not your pocketbook, not your job. They don't dictate to you. The Lord dictates to you. The Holy Spirit tells you. His Word tells you. And I just feel, as we're worshiping, I just feel like there's a lot of weariness here. And you know what? I just want to declare and decree. I just want us to raise our hands, declare and decree. See, the thing is about this house, we're not going to give in to the weariness. We're going to be a muscle church. We're going to push through. Let us push through. Some of us haven't been watered in a while. The fact is this, we need to be watered with the word, watered with the power and strength of the Holy Spirit. And the Lord wants to water you today. I see, um, you know, as I was praying and we were worshiping, I see like a root bound. Some of you are root bound. And the Lord is... Um, wanting to when something's root bound you got to get in there and tear up those roots so that the so it takes in the soil so that it can receive the soil so that it can receive the water and the lord says there's some of you that are root bound maybe you've been in some constricted places and the lord says i'm planting you i'm planting you in better soil right now right now right now right now no you don't have to go somewhere else you don't have to travel to some conference you don't have to go up to a revival place right now right now, right now, because it's my spirit that does that. Lord, I just say break off the weariness, Lord, the weariness. Break off the weariness of the mind, of the thoughts, the thoughts that are dictating weariness, the thoughts that say you can't do this. Lord, you said we can do it. We can do it by your spirit. Lord, I say your word says that your burden is light. Your yoke is easy. Lord, we must have left you somewhere if the burden becomes heavy because you said your yoke is easy and your burden is light so lord may we get back in the yoke with you and let you lead lord let you guide let you strengthen us we break off that weariness by faith by faith, by your word. We stand on your word, Lord Jesus. We stand on your word, Lord, that you do send angels to minister to us. You do have your Holy Spirit in us to strengthen us. Some of us are in those battles. Those battles are not yet victorious in 
the, the present, but you have promised victory. And you will bring it about as we persevere in it, as we do not give up, as we do not wave the white flag of surrender to the enemy. We will not surrender. We will have victory. We will have victory. So, Lord, strengthen the people today. Strengthen them by the power of the Holy Spirit. Strengthen them by your word, Lord. Lord, bring healing to the broken, Lord. Bring hope to the despair, Lord. For those who are mourning, Lord, bring them joy today. We thank you, Lord, in your name. You can be seated. You know, I want to encourage you. This is the time of exhortation when we have a time of encouragement for prayer. And one thing that the Lord really spoke to me is that you are called, and I am called to be an oak of righteousness. An oak of righteousness. That is not really a popular term even in the church world right now. We have a lot of shifting sand. We have a lot of shifting sand going on. People running around looking for this or that and the other thing. And the fact is this, the Lord wants your roots to go deep. You know what, Lynn, Pastor Lynn, I like when you just give me the, the word that's all going to be okay. I don't have to, you know. The fact is this, you got to have your roots grow deep. The truth is this, there are storms, and you know what? It, globally, we got some storms, and I can't promise you that it's not, there's not going to be any storms. Actually, if I look at the forecast, it looks like there's going to be some storms. Storms for the church, storms for the faith, storms for your faith, storms to challenge your faith. It's actually, was reading some articles. There's a concept of being unconverted or something like that now, where people were in the body and now they've left their faith. Some people who are worship leaders and all that, that this unconversion type of thing, I think it's called that. It's a trend. It's a trend. And you know what? It concerns me as a pastor because you know what? We're going to be oaks of righteousness. We're going deep in him. We're not swaying. We're not leaving anything. We're not leaving the word of God. Are you with me? You want, if you want to see the glory of God, you got to be oak of righteousness. Because it, it, the, 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 the weather around us may shift, but an oak that has ro the roots go deep remains. And I want to read to you in Isaiah 61 where the prophet speaks of the Spirit of the Lord coming upon him. But he comes to a scripture in Isaiah 61.3 and he says this. Because he says we're going to do all these things. We're going to release people from bondage, captives from bondage, freedom to the prisoners, all these great things. But what will be our name? So they, these people who do this, will be called the trees of righteousness or the oaks of righteousness. See, the thing is the world needs oaks of righteousness. They don't think they need it until they have a tragedy going on. And then they need safe people to go to. Listen, body of Christ. Listen, people of God. Listen, children of God. Listen to man and woman of God. We are called to be oaks of righteousness. But the thing is this. Sometimes we interpret what's going on in our lives 
as if I can't be an oak of righteousness. I can't because of what I'm experiencing right now. Some of you, you are going through a season, as John 15 says. John 15 is the scripture when Jesus says, I am the vine and the Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that continues to bear fruit, he repeatedly lets bear fruit. No. He repeatedly prunes. Have you ever seen a tree that was pruned? Nobody takes a selfie with a tree that's pruned. They all take it with blossoms and fruitfulness. See, a pruned tree doesn't look very pretty. And sometimes when we're in pruning season, we can interpret it as God has left me. I am not in the will of God. I can't be strong and courageous. Some of you are in a, tr a time, a season of pruning. See, he says that, that uh, he repeatedly prunes so that it will bear what? More fruit. Some of us are in a budding season. We got some new things going on. Some of us are in a fruitful season. We got some great things going on. And some of us are in a pruning season. But all of us are called to be oaks of righteousness. All of us. Ephesians 3.16 says this. May he grant you out of the riches of his glory to be strengthened and spiritually energized with power through his spirit in your inner self. I underlined inner self because we put so much emphasis on the external. What does it look like? What manifestation is happening? Whoa, whoa, yeah. What about the inner self? See, that's where rooted and groundedness is. It's in the inner self so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through your faith. And may you, having been deeply rooted and securely grounded in love, be fully capable of comprehending with all the saints the width and length and height and depth of his love. Being rooted and grounded. Being rooted and grounded. And it says rooted and grounded in his love. The enemy wants to make you insecure. The enemy wants to challenge God's love for you. The enemy wants to challenge what God's word says about your inheritance. And when you are rooted and grounded in God's love, those thoughts, those things, those words, those even circumstances that appear to say what the enemy is saying to you may be right, you will know because it hits the love of God in you. It hits the rooted and grounded and you say, I reject that. That is not true. I will not receive that because I am rooted and grounded in his love. Now I'm a pastor and I know a lot of stuff. <laughs> and I know my people in this house need to be rooted and grounded in his love. I need, uh, you need to be rooted and grounded in his love. A deeper root. A deeper root in his love. I, uh, that what will be said of this house when I am gone 
what will be said of this house when many of us are gone, when maybe the younger generation is now our age, will be that we are oaks of righteousness. And we will stand. And no matter what the circumstances that swirl around this house, culturally, politically, economically, morally, it doesn't matter because we will be oaks of righteousness. And in decades from now, this house will stand. This house will be full. This house will be passing on the gospel from generation to generation to generation. doesn't matter what the culture is going to be doing around us because we will be established as oaks of righteousness. You will be established as oaks of righteousness in your home, in your marriage, for your children, for your children's friends even, for your neighbors. For your colleagues, you will be an oak of righteousness. You'll say, well, you know what? They make fun of me. They say I'm like this straight arrow. I'm no fun. You know what? But when they need somebody, when they need somebody, they're going to come to you. When they're hurting, when they need somebody to trust, when their child is sick and on the deathbed, they're going to come to you because you're an oak of righteousness. And they know that you know the living God. So it's time for us to not give ourselves into what the world wants to dictate. Say, well, I'm not perfect. I got some issues. Guess what? You're an oak of righteousness. The Lord's just going to prune those issues away. He's going to cut off those branches that don't belong there, and he's going to water the things that belong there. Are you willing to be an oak of righteousness? Are you rooted and grounded? You see, you don't need to be afraid. When you're rooted and grounded, you don't have to walk in the spirit of fear. Because where sin abounds so much more, the grace of God abounds. You are the winner. The grace of God is greater than any sin. The grace of God is greater than any sort of cultural uh, thing that's trying to come and sweep away the morality around us. The grace of God is greater. You are to be built on the rock. You are not to be shifting sand. You are to be built on the rock and families. You build your house on the rock. You build your house on Jesus. You build your house on his word. You build his house on what he declares, his promises, the inheritance. May your children know. May you write it on your doorposts. May you wear it that for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. We're going to serve the Lord. Children, I don't care what everybody else around you does. I already told my kids that. You have for me in my house, we will serve the Lord everywhere in my house. If you go in there, you'll see it many times. You know what? If there's something, if there's something that's going on in my house and it doesn't line up for that scripture, for me in my house, we will serve the Lord. Guess what? We're going get, to get confronted about it. Come on. Let's get down the dirty details here. It's like, you know what? For me in my house. We will serve the Lord because we're giant slayers. We're conquerors. For me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I want you to stand if you are willing to be an oak of righteousness. The Lord says, I am with you. I am with you. Some of you feel weary today. Some of you have been in battle. Some of you are in pruning seasons. And you say, man, this pruning hurts. This pruning feels wearying. And the Lord says, you know what? Every branch that I prune, I prune so that it bears more fruit. More fruit than when it what, what it was before I pruned it. 
Come on, the Lord's declaring this over you. This is not this is not Disneyland church where we all come in and we pretend to be Cinderella and then we go home. This is the truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I give truth. The truth sets you free. There's freedom in this house. We believe your word. The world says this word, this Bible, is not truth. They say it's an ancient text. They say it's irrelevant. They say all kinds of things, but this word is the word of God, the maker of heaven and earth. This word will stand. This word will stand. The earth may pass away, but this word will stand. And you are people rooted and grounded in him. Lord, we just give ourselves to you right now. Lord, I pray over the weary. If you're weary, if you're weary, there's no shame in that. You just raise your hand. Because the Lord wants to strengthen you this day. Just raise your hand. You may be weary in a circumstance, a battle. Maybe one of your kids are giving you a hard time. Maybe you got some financial things going on that's just, just causing you to feel fearful. And that's just taking away your strength. The Lord says, I have come. I have come. I've sent my word. I've sent my word. I am with you. I am with you. I am Jehovah Shammah. I am the God who is there. I'm the God who is there now. I'm the God that's already there tomorrow. I'm already there on Thursday. I'm already there at the meeting. I'm already there at the doctor's appointment. I am Jehovah Shammah, the God who is there. Lord, we ask for your strength. You are calling this house to be oaks of righteousness. This is not just, this is not just a temporary kind of a, a slogan that we're a muscle church, this temporary slogan, then we come up with some other cute thing to try to get people here. No, this is an assignment for generations to come. We will be an oak of righteousness. You will have people rest under the shade and receive healing. You will have people come and nest in our branches and receive food, receive a place of safety. Lord, we declare this, Father, over this house. We declare it over the homes, over the families, over the marriages in this house. We declare it, Father, in your name. Amen. All right. You know what? I want you to raise your hand if you've been married 25 years or longer. Raise your hand if you've been married 25 years or longer, okay? All right. Okay. Remember that, all right? You put your hands down. Those of you that are married and you're married maybe just a few years, seven years, five years, ten years, raise your hand. Raise your hand. Okay. I want you guys to look around. Those of you that are married longer, I want you to look around. Now, I want you who, who have said, you know, we've, I've been married at least 25 years. I want you to go and put your hand on the person on the shoulder of one of these couples. Okay? The young couples. Because I really feel that the enemy wants to destroy families. The enemy wants to break apart families. He wants to create vulnerability in families, in marriages, in their spiritual lives, the spiritual lives of their children. I just felt that while I was standing here, when I, after while they were singing that song, I felt like the Lord said, you know what, we're going to pray for, for marriages. You can go to 100 conferences and seminars about marriage. I've seen it happen. I've seen people. And you still have a broken up, virgin divorce marriage. And you know what? That is not God's abundant life for you. I have come that you might have life and life abundantly. His, his design for you, and I'm not saying a younger marriage is more vulnerable than an older marriage, but I just really feel today 
that the Lord would have the ones that have gone through the storms for decades to lay hands because scripture does say that the older would teach the younger. The older woman would teach the younger on how to love their husbands and how to raise their family in scripture. And there's a sense of impartation, okay? I'm just going to say it. impartation. That I, you know what? If I can impart everything to give you a great marriage, I want to do that. Because I know that one puts 1,000 to flight, but two puts 10,000 to flight. And the enemy just wants to get in there and try to create division, try to create, uh, because the Lord, when you got married, you the two became one. The two became one. There was a covenant. The Lord, that's what the Word of God says. There was a union. And there's power in that union. And the enemy, the very first thing that he did in the Garden of Eden was to destroy that union. He destroyed the relationship with God. Then he destroyed that union between Adam and Eve. And, and that's what Jesus came to restore. He's the great reconciler. So, Lord, I'm just going to pray. You pray over those families. We're just going to pray blessing. There is no report to me about there's no issue that I say this other than what the Lord is declaring to my spirit right now, that we're going to pray that this house is going to have oaks of righteousness in families that have great marriages from decade to decade to decade, and their children have great marriages. We break off the spirit of divorce. We break off the spirit of immorality. We break off the spirit of deception that that um, you outgrow your partner or some of the worldly views about marriage. We break off those things. We take them captive and we say, mind of Christ, mind of Christ. Lord, we say 1 Corinthians 13, we declare it over. Come on, I want to hear you praying. I want to hear you praying. I've seen too much, too much, too much, too much. This house, this house will be a muscle church with muscle marriages, with muscle families, with muscle children, with muscle teens. Lord, we declare it over this house. The enemy is trying to come kill, steal, and destroy, constantly pressing, constantly creating stress, constantly wanting to divide. And Lord, you are the unifier. You are the reconciler. You are the one through your Holy Spirit that creates the, the gorilla glue, the gorilla glue that, that can't tear us apart, Lord. Can't tear us apart, Lord. I say, Father, over this house, the spirit of forgiveness. If there's something that is in the home, whether whatever decade the house is, uh, uh, the marriage is, Lord, that there's forgiveness, there's strength, there's love, there's agape love, there's the love of God, the love of God in the marriage, the love of God in the marriage. We declare it, Father. We declare, we declare freedom in these houses. No more bondages in these houses. We thank you, Lord, for this gift of marriage, for the family, the family unit. We thank you, Lord, for it. Lord, that's your design. That's your design, Lord. We want to be healthy. We want to be strong. We want to have a, a house, Father, that is a testimony to all the people around us, Lord. That is your desire, Lord, that we would glorify you through our marriage, through our home. Lord, give wisdom. Give wisdom to problem-solving, Lord. Give wisdom to strategy, Lord, that when we face 
issues, when we face challenges, Lord, you said, I will give wisdom if you lack it. Lord, we ask for your ways, your ways in our marriage, your ways in raising children, your ways in our career and businesses, your ways, Father. We declare this, Lord. We will not do it the world's way. We will not do it the world's way. We will do it your way. And we thank you in your name. Amen. 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 Hey, this morning we're continuing the series. We'll be finishing up this series uh, starting in September. We'll be starting a new series called Move This Mountain. And we're going to talk about things that we need to move in our life, both positive and negative. So we're going to speak to the mountains in our life, and we're going to challenge uh, you to grow in your faith and deepen in your faith. And some of us, we're going to speak to mountains because they're things that are obstacles. And some of us, we're going to speak to mountains, things that we're going to build upon and strengthen and develop. This morning, I want to talk to you in the series that we're, we're going through. We're dealing with the issue of who switched the price tags. And a few years back, I, uh, we used to pastor a church. And it was many years back, actually. And they had a mindset that they were going to be a country club church. You know, you know what country clubs are? Country clubs are those places that you have to have a membership to go to. You have to have a certain sticker on your car. You need a certain pass. And it always reminds him of the old American Express uh, uh, commercials that says, you know, membership has its privileges. And with a country club membership, you get certain privileges. You know, uh, uh, country clubs, uh, they, they keep certain people out. They don't want certain people as part of their membership. I remember years ago, there was a, a controversy at one of the, the national golfing uh, country clubs because they didn't allow women golfers or uh, African-American golfers in. And it created a controversy because they had a, a big sporting event there. And as a result of that, all this uh, information came public that they were exclus exclusive to certain people. And, you know, when we talk about the church, we talk about the church... You know, sometimes some church is not our church, and I want to clarify that. Our church is not a country club church. Aren't you glad for that? I mean, we do have members, but members there, we, we do the same thing as the non-members, all right? And I want to talk to you this morning about the whole aspect of what do we deal with when we're dealing with a, a country club mentality in church? Because a lot of churches have this mentality, and we've got to fight against it. You know, one of the things that is so important for us, if I could do anything, if Pastor Lynn could do anything as your pastors during our tenure, however long the Lord keeps us here, which I'm hoping it's till I'm like wheeled up here in a wheelchair, you know, and you finally say, okay, Reuben and I, we're the two guys in the wheelchair, uh, right, Reuben? We, you can say, okay, Pastor Dave, it's, it's time for you to go live in India or do something like that and put, hook me up to a plane and take me and drop me off someplace. But our desire is to nurture you so you understand biblically who you are in Christ. And when you understand who you are in Christ, it changes your perspective. It changes the way you look at things. One of the things that God wants to do, he wants to empower you with his word. He wants you to be men and women who are strong in the faith, that when you come to church, it's not like you're coming because you're weak. You're coming because you're strong, and you know who you are in Christ. Amen? So I want to ask you a question. Are we called to be popular, or are we called to be passionate? You know, we're called to be people who are passionate. Now, when you're passionate about something, what do you do? 
You talk about it. You think about it. You're engaged in it. And one of the things that God wants us to do, he wants our faith to be passionate about the Lord Jesus Christ. And one of the things that is an earmark uh, that makes you different than a country club church, you see, there's actually articles that have been written about this. Christianity Today had some articles. There's podcasts on it. And it's interesting because there's certain characteristics that a country club church has. One of them is this. They will not talk about Jesus, but they'll talk about God. You know why? Because Jesus is very specific. God is a very general term. I could go out and talk to people outside right now about God, and they'll be like, yeah, yeah, because the God that we're talking about is very, very uh, 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 diffused. Jesus is very intense. Jesus is very specific. Jesus says, I will be a stumbling block to some people because they don't like the message that I have. And as believers, one of the things we're going to be, we will never be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We as a church, one of the founding uh, uh, beliefs that we have is that Jesus Christ is Lord, that there is only one way to heaven, and it's not through some guru, it's not through some this or that, it's through Jesus Christ and his blood. That's why when we first came here, I don't know if some of you have been here long enough, we used to have a big screen in front of this, and it used to bother me every Sunday that we covered the cross, because the cross is the message which we proclaim. Through the cross, we have forgiveness. Through the cross, we have healing. Through the cross, we have restoration with God. And the cross of Jesus Christ never has lost its power. Makes me want to break out singing a hymn. So what are we talking about this morning? We're talking about the church that wants to follow Jesus Christ. And I look at Christianity, and I look at the view that some people have about their faith, and it, it really it, 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 it scares me because we have a faith that wants to exclude certain people. We have a faith that says, you know, we only want the popular people in our church. We only want the people that have it all together. Let me tell you something. None of us have it together. I don't have it together. She doesn't have it together. And knowing some of you, you don't have it together. But you know what we do? We press on to the mark of the high calling we've received in Christ. We realize that we cast our cares upon him. Why? Because he cares for us. We know that he is able to take the offerings that we make, our physical bodies, and lay them in front of him and saying, Lord, I surrender all to you. And when I surrender everything to the Lord, he does this incredible things of making us whole. He makes opportunity. He changes us and breathes his life into us and breathes his presence into us so we can be the, the men and women that God's called us to be. So I want to talk to you this morning about reasons why this church will never be a country club church under these pastors. First of all, you're laughing. She's laughing. You can't pay for your membership in church. You know that? Some people, you know, I grew up in an area in northeast Pennsylvania, and I went to a church quite a bit, but it wasn't a Bible-believing church. It was a church that that every year they would send you a bill that if you haven't paid your certain membership fee, you were removed from their church membership. I thought, wow, it's like a union due, you know? If I don't pay your union dues, you're, you're out of the union. You don't pay your membership fee. They, they take your fob from the gym, and you go to get in the gym, and you can't get in. 
Let me tell you, the, the money that you give to this church, the weekly contributions, your tithes and offerings, they don't buy you into heaven. They don't buy you into your relationship with God. You know, when we give to the Lord and we give to the Lord, we give graciously and generously to him. And one thing I want to tell you, you, you don't want to miss the business meeting. I'm just going to put a plug in. God has been so good to the finances of this church over this last year. And God has got some great things in store he wants to tell you. But I tell you, and don't worry, we're not taking the second offering. We've already done that, okay? Uh, not the second offering, the first offering. But you know, Scripture tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 1 and 2, that when you're talking about the collection, listen to what it says. This is Paul talking to a church in Corinth, which was a church much like our church, a church in an environment that was very spiritual around it, but he says this about the church. Now about the collection for the saints. You are to do as I directed the churches in Galatia. For on the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a portion of his income, saving it up so that when I come, no collection will be needed. So what Paul was saying, it's a matter of your decision between you and the Lord to take an offering and you set it aside. I'm not going to tell you how much to give. The church isn't going to tell you how much to give. You know, I had conversations with people every once in a while, and they, they tell me, well, pastor, tithing is not in the New Testament. I'm like, you're right, it's not. Tithing is an Old Testament principle. The New Testament principle is everything you have belongs to the Lord. You know, it's not the 10%, it's the 100%. You know, and we give, why? Because we know he is faithful, and he's able to meet all of our needs. And I tell you what, I, I trust the Lord with my finances more than I trust him with anything else. You know why? Because he's proven himself over and over to me. And when you look at this, one of the things that this reflects, your giving reflects your trust in the Lord. Some people, they, they, they can trust God for all kinds of things, but they can't trust him for their finances. But when you're talking about finances, you know, some of you are starting to squirm. You're like, Pastor, move on to the second point, you know? But let me tell you something. The money that you give to this church, you've got a good board. You've got good people on the board. You've got financial accountability. We have off-siting people that are looking at our finances, making sure it's being allocated to the right things. We have a, an accounting company that looks at our finances. And I tell you what, you can see around here in the last few years that your, the tithes and offering of this church has been going where it's been designated. How many of you are too cool this morning? How many of you like the fact that We've put air conditioners in here that you're not sitting on sweaty. Yeah, I see those hands. You know, you're not sitting on a sweaty bench that's not comfortable. You're not walking on un, uneven carpet. There are just holes in the carpet. You're sitting in a place that's well illuminated. Why? Because of good stewardship principles. And let me tell you, when we're talking about what we do with our finances, we need to do this. We need to have this mindset. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6 and 7, it says, And remember this. You see, even back then, during the time of Christ, the Apostle Paul knew that people were concerned about finances. And he says this, whoever sows sparingly also reaps sparingly. So there's a connection between sowing sparingly and reaping sparingly. And let me, let me clarify this, because we're talking about your money isn't membership. This is, this is a spiritual sacrifice we give to the Lord. We, we do this freely, and not only do we do it freely, look what it's, it says. And whoever sows generously will reap generously. How many of you want to reap generously? 
I don't know, but the rest, half of the church doesn't. We'll pray for you. I want God to let you reap generously. I want your, your, your blessings, not just on your finances, but on your relationships, on your income, on your health, on your homes. I want, I want God to release blessing over you in so many areas. And this is not faith prosperity. This is faithfulness and being prosperous as a result of you being faithful. You know, the Apostle Paul was a good rabbi. Actually, when I was up in Reading last week, I taught Genesis 1 through 11. I taught a class on that. And we talked about the faithfulness of God from the beginning of the book of Genesis and how that ties in to the New Testament. And the Apostle Paul was a rabbi. He was, a, he was trained as one of the best rabbis of his day by Gamaliel. And he taught the church the principles he learned from his Jewish upbringing. And one of the things he learned was the, from the book of Proverbs. Now, what is the book of Proverbs? The book of wisdom. The book of, of insights to, to the, the, the nature and character of God. And in Proverbs chapter 22, verse 8, not in the, in the translation we have, but there's a translation uh, taken from the book called the Septuagint, which was a Greek translation of the Old Testament. And listen to what it says in Proverbs 22.8. This is where Paul is getting the springboard to talk to us out of uh, 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 9. He says, He that sows wicked things shall reap evil and shall complete the penalty of his deed. You see, if you sow bad things, bad things are going to happen to you right? But he says this, but God, listen to this, but God blesses the cheerful man and a giver and shall complete in a good sense the incompleteness of his works. You know what, you know what that proverb is saying? That when you are generous, when you have a spirit of generosity, God completes the deficiencies that you have as a person. Think about that. How many of you have deficiencies? Okay, look at the person next to you. They have way more than you do. <laughs> and you know what? They're thinking the same thing about you. All of us have deficiencies. All of us lack something. But when we're cheerful and we are generous, not just in our money, folks. This is not just talking about finance. It's talking about generous in our spirit, generous in our attitudes, generous in our relationships, generous in being gracious to other people. God has a way of taking all of those things that we are incomplete in and bring them to completion. Why? Because he is able to do exceedingly abundantly above what we can imagine or ask. And some of us don't even ask about the areas in our life that God needs to come in and, and fortify. But when you're generous and you're gracious, God does it automatically. Aren't you glad you serve a good God? Aren't you glad you serve a God that loves you and cares for you and wants the best for you? Aren't you glad that Jesus paid all the debt that you and I have? That we could walk in freedom, we could walk in grace? Second thing, my role as a pastor is to help you to understand the teaching of Scripture. My, my goal, I can be friends with you. I like Simon. Simon's mostly good, isn't he? He's mostly good. You know, he's a good guy. But my goal is not to be his best buddy. My goal is to be his pastor. My goal as your pastor is to train you in righteousness. My goal as your pastor is to unlock the mystery of Scripture to you so you can unfold it and understand it for yourself. My goal as your pastor is to teach you and train you, to build you up as trees of righteousness. That's what God's called me to do. 
Yesterday, I, I trimmed some trees. I'm a little sore today. Randy trimmed some trees yesterday. He's a little sore today. You know, sometimes when you're trimming trees to get better growth, there's a painful process that you take when you're trimming them. And sometimes as a pastor, there's things I have to say to you that you think cause just pain to you. But let me tell you, they're painful to me. I don't take them lightly. They're burdens that I have to pray over and pray over and pray over and burdens that our pastoral team prays over. We don't flippantly make decisions regarding you because we know that we will be judged by the Lord on the day of judgment. Whenever that happens, we stand in front of him of how good of a servant we were to this church. I don't take that burden lightly. But I know this, that God has called me according to the gospel and according to the calling that I've received to be a good shepherd of this church. And part of that shepherd is I've learned something from the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 20, verse 28, it says this, keep your watch over yourself, all right? This is what I'm doing. I keep a watch over myself. I I pray that I can be the most righteous person possible because I have to watch my own life first and foremost. But then also, and all of the flock which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. You see, I am an overseer. I have a, a responsibility before the Lord to help you grow in your faith. That's right. I don't take that lightly. I don't take that lightly at all. I had, that is a burden that I remember when I was a young person and I was struggling with a call saying, God, do you, are you calling me to full-time ministry? I don't know if I want that burden. I don't know if I want the responsibility of having the weight of all of the church members on my shoulders because I have to guide them in their faith. And a lot of times people don't realize that. I think some pastors think it's, it's a job. It's not a calling. And I understand I get a paycheck from it, but it's, it's more than a paycheck. I do it because I have a responsibility before God. And God's calling me to do this, to be a shepherd of the church of God, which he bought with his blood. And I don't know if you've ever bought something, but when you buy something, there is an exchange that happens. And I am responsible for the stewardship of the blood of Christ that was shed for each and every one of us. And I don't take that lightly, folks. That's why I sometimes when we, we're preaching or we're sharing the gospel, we're sharing the word of God to you, we're going to challenge you to go deep because God did not shed his blood to make weak Christians. God shed his blood so that you and I would be strong men and women of faith, be able to rightly divide the word of God, be able to stand on our own two feet, and we don't need someone going, feed me food, Papa. You know? I want you to be solid in your faith. I don't want you to have to have Pablo your whole life. God wants you to get into the meat of the word. And I tell you what, I don't care if it's Daniel fast, we're going to serve you the meat of the word. We may be vegan in what we're eating during the Daniel fast, but you're going to get the meat of the word that, that month. And you see, one of the things that God calls us to do as believers is to take up a mantle of service. God has called us as men and women of faith. As your pastor, one of the things that I have to do is I have to nurture the calling of God that you have. Now, your calling of God may not be Sunday mornings, being a pastor, but God has called you to be a servant. 
He, he says that's one of the gifts that is, is given to the church. He, he says it in Romans chapter 12 and in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. He says that one of the things that happens is the gift of service is actually a spiritual gift that God has given us. And one of the things that God wants to do, God wants you to exercise the gifts that he's given you for the advancement of his kingdom. Yes. You know, I love the fact that this morning, I, I, Teresa, can I pick on you? She's not here. I guess I can. She must have known I was going to say something about her. She stepped out. She walks up to me this morning, and she says, Hey, Pastor, I just want to let you know that I would like to do a business directory for the church. And she goes, I think it would be a really good idea if the church had a business directory. I said, oh, that's a great idea. And she says, you know what I'll do? I'll gather the information. I'll put it all together. I'll make PDFs. I'll organize it by, by topic and by business and by that, and I'll put it all together, and you can just put it on the website. How does that sound? I'm like, that sounds really good. You know? I love when people come up to me and say, Pastor, I have an idea. The church should do this, and church should do this, and church should do this. When are you going to do it, Pastor? And here's my response, just so you all know. As soon as you hand me your credit card, I'll take care of it. As soon as you know you want me to take care of it, if I can't do it, I'll hire someone that can. And trust me, we'll get the most money out of that credit card as possible to get the best job done. You know, let me see, I love that about Teresa is that she, she said to me this, and it was interesting. She said, you know, I have the gift of hospitality as well. I want to help you in this. You see, when you use your gifts, God does this to them. He breathes on them, and what happens when you breathe on fire? It spreads, and your gifts enlarge themselves and consume other areas and are able to grow, and there's not effort needed. Look what it says in, in, in the book of 1 Peter, chapter 4, verse 9 and 10. Offer hospitality to one another whenever you feel like it. Is that what it says? Not, a, not again. We have to. These people are driving me crazy. They come over all the time. They expect us to be nice to them. You know, hi, how are you doing? I'm great. I'm as two-faced as ever. No, it says without grumbling. Without grumbling. Each one of you should use whatever gift you have received to share with others as faithful stewards of God's grace. Do you know that the gifts that you have are graces that God has given to you to entrust to be a steward of so that you can use those for the advancement of his kingdom. And when you don't use your gifts, you are, are, are limiting the growth of the kingdom of God. Yeah. You are stymieing the growth. You're, you're, you're like Pastor Lynn said earlier, you're like putting a pot, uh, a plant in a pot that is too small for its root system, and what happens? That, those, that plant can't grow. But when you take it out and put it into a larger capacity, what will happen? That plant will automatically grow larger. Why? Because the root system is in bound. And when you're using the graces that God has given you, you will see growth not just in yourself, but in others around you. Wow. Second thing. The church is not just for the society's elite. I thank God we have a beautiful facility. I thank God we have an air-conditioning facility. I've been in churches that didn't have anything half as night. I thank God, and I thank God for the people that have worked hard to make this and the people that have given to make it possible. But I'll tell you what, this is not going to be for members only. This is not going to be exclusive. This is not going to be a place where if someone comes in, they're a little bit different than us, that we say, well, sorry, you could, there's a really great church down the street you should go visit. And have you ever seen the thing online of the pastor who dressed up like a bum and hung out in front of his church? 
Actually, he was the brand new pastor, so most of the church didn't know what he looked like, and he sat out in front of his church like a homeless person and didn't bathe for a couple days and smelled funny and had a big bag of trash, and he sat out in front of his church, and people were just walking by, and a couple people called the police on him, and then he finally walks into the pulpit and shares who he is, and the church is embarrassed because they didn't treat him because they thought he wasn't worthy to be treated a certain way. Let me tell you, we're going to have people in this church that some of them, they're jacked up. They're even more jacked up than you and I. But you know what? We're going to love them. We're going to nurture them in their faith. We're going to help them to grow in their faith. We're going to help them to find out what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And you know what? We're going to open our doors to whoever wants to come in here. And they may not like the message they hear at first, but we're going to love them. And we're going to smother them with the love of Christ. And we're going to teach them about the things of Christ. We're going to teach them how much Jesus loves them and how much he died for them and how much he cared for them. And you know what? They may be very, very different than you and I. But that doesn't mean they're not welcome here in this place. 2 Thessalonians 2 says this. But we ought to always thank God for you, brothers and sisters, loved by the Lord, because God chose you as firstfruits to be saved through the sanct- listen to this god chose you as first fruits to be saved through the sanctifying work of the spirit and through belief in the truth you see there's a part of us that when we are walking in the blessing and favor of god for our lives we sanctify those things that are un- unclean do you know that that you sanctify what is sanctify that's a fancy word where to say you know Man, Nick, you're all grubby and you're scruffy, and you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to sanctify. I'm going to clean you all up. You're going to look perfect. I know he's perfect in your eyes, but you've only been married for two weeks, okay? Three. Three weeks. Oh, how time flies when we're having fun. Not that you're scruffy, Nick. You look good with that. I just can't grow hair on my head, all right? But what we do is we take something that may not be as, as, as perfect as we want, and our lifestyle sanctifies that you know our lifestyle changes that our lifestyle changes people that were once as messed up as we used to be but we've walked that journey and we've seen the faithfulness of god we've seen the goodness of god we've seen the loving kindness of god and we know if he did it for us as messed up as we are he could do it for that other person that isn't half as messed up as we are or maybe not even half as messed up as we think they are You see, God wants to do something powerful. And what he'll do, he'll do it through people who say, you know what, I'm going to trust God to believe God that he's able to do this. Another thing that this church is not going to do, it's not just going to exist for our pleasure. You see, whether you like to hear it or not, the truth is the church doesn't exist for you. How many of you know Christ is your personal Savior? Okay. The church doesn't exist for you. We, as the church, exist for those that don't know Christ. We are called to be salt and light to an environment that is very dark. And and the the mission of the church has never changed. Now, it's not that we don't come together and we don't work as a community of faith together, and and, and we're not going to ignore you, but if, if the whole purpose of you being at church is to have all your needs met all the time, you need to start feeding yourself in the faith. You need to start getting into the word of God yourself and strengthening yourself because I don't know what your Bible says, but my Bible says in Matthew chapter five that we are the light of the world. And the light of the world is, is like a light that's it's like a city up on a hill. And if you see a city up on a hill, you can see it from a far off distance. 
and you can see that the light that is there can be seen by everyone. Have you ever driven somewhere? Maybe you're driving down the I-5 at night, and you look, and you see very far off in the distance, you see a light beaming. You can see it for miles and miles and miles and miles. Well, that's what we're called to be. We're called to be lights that is shining out in the darkness. And part of what we do is we allow the light to shine in front of people in such a good way. Look what it says in verse 16. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they see your good works. See, I know a lot of people that talk about how their good works are. But talk is cheap. Lots of people talk, but don't do it. God wants us to have the good works of our life seen by others that don't know him. And then they want to know, why do you do these things? Why are you so kind to me? I'm, I'm mean to you. Why are you kind to me? I, I curse in front of you all the time. Why are you so nice to me? I make fun of you. You know I make fun of you. Why are you so nice to me? You know about why? Because I have Christ in my heart. And he loves you. He understands all the things. He understands everything you do. And he wants you to know that I've been light that has been given to you so you can understand the goodness of God. And he's called me to do good works, and you know what he's called you. You, you just don't know it yet. And we ex exude the light of Christ. Another thing about this church is that, although this church is a beautiful building, it's not going to become an idol. Man, I hope we wear things out. I hope our carpet that we just put in gets worn out. I hope the pews have so many people sitting in them, they start breaking I, ho I hope that we have a parking lot that in five years, no, maybe, where's Danny? Maybe 20 years, Danny, okay? Not five years. Uh, if I had hair, I was out in the parking lot with Danny pulling my hair out like this in the last couple weeks, you know, wondering if, if we're going to get this done. But, you know, we want a facility that is not idolized. We want a facility that is used. That doesn't mean we're not good stewards of it. But we never should make this place holy. This place is not holy. Do you hear me? This place just happens to be an auditorium that's dedicated to the Lord. And we'll take good care of it, but we're not going to worship it. There's only one that deserves worship, and his name is Jesus Christ. And we will always press on to know him and to use the facilities he's given us, but we will not allow it to become a status symbol for us. We will not allow it to become something that we worship, and you can't do this or you can't do that. I hope we have little kids running around this building, crawling under pews, spilling stuff, and the maintenance crew can clean it up really quickly. You know, that's my, that's my OCD, you know, cleaning freak, you know. But we will not worship the facility. We'll worship the one who gave us the facility, and we'll be good stewards of it. So here's some things that you and I could do in our personal life to make sure that we don't create a, a country club Christianity in this church. First of all, we need to constantly be preaching about Jesus Christ. We need to be talking to people everywhere we go about the goodness of our God. You know, if you and I want a, a brand new car, if we got a brand new car, we would be telling everyone how we got this car, where we got this car, how nice it is, all the features in it. You know, if you got a free ticket for a game, you'd tell everyone how much fun you had at that game. If someone gave you a $100 DSW card, you'd be showing those sparkly little shoes off everywhere you go. Why? Because it's something you're, you're happy about. Well, let me tell you, we should be sharing the goodness of the Lord everywhere we go. You know? Use opportunity. Share about what Christ has done in your life. Share about his goodness, his faithfulness. Share about his dependability. Share about his love for you. Share about how he's healed you and strengthened you and set you free. Share about how he's changed your life. People can't argue that. 
They can argue whether the Bible is accurate. They could argue all these other things. But you and I are called to be men and women who proclaim the goodness of the Lord. You know, the, one of the last things that Jesus told his disciples in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 and 20, was he says, we are called to go and make disciples of all nations. We are called, every one of us is called to go and make disciples in all nations. Last week, we got an email from one of the pastors in India that we support, and he says, I just wanted to let you know, we baptized three new believers. You know, to you and I, baptism isn't that important, but in a country where when you legally change your religion when you've been baptized, it's huge. And I tell you, they have to fill out a form and submit it to the, to the government that they are no longer of a different religion. They have now accepted Christ. And I tell you what, a lot of our brothers and sisters in those countries are persecuted because of that. You see, we're called to baptize them in whom? In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And then we teach them, according to verse 20, to observe all the things that Jesus commanded us to do. How do we know that? We have to be people that are doing it ourselves. We have to start following what the Lord has told us to do, and then we, in turn, teach others how to do it. I'll tell you, one of the things that our, our, our church will always have, our, key, our slogan is this, keep it real, keep it simple, and keep it about Jesus. When you keep it real, it means you're being genuine with people. The same way you're a cut on a Sunday morning between 10 and 12 is the same person you're going to be Thursday afternoon at 6. Yep. You're the same person when you get in an auto accident. You may be a little bit razzled a little bit more, but, but you're the same person. You're not going to exhibit road rage. You're not going to be angry. When people are, are different than you, you're not going to tear them down and then come to church and lift up holy hands. You're going to be the same person wherever you're at. Simple means not because it's, it's, it's shallow. We're going to keep it simple so that you understand it. So you understand what is, is talking about, but we will always keep it about Jesus Christ. He is the hinge pin of all of history. And everything that we do at this church will be about the Lord and what he's called us to do. Second thing you could do, and this is really, I, I think, in our culture right now, we live in a culture that is doing everything it can to tear down people. We live in a culture that's really angry. We live in a culture that's very bitter. We live in a culture that is very, very uh, antagonistic to people. And we need to be people who practice encouragement. We need to be people that take it as a, a responsibility that we have, not as someone else has, but we have a responsibility to do everything we can to push people to, towards love. How do I know that? The Word of God says that. Where does it say that? In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and verse 25. This is a fascinating passage of Scripture. Look what it says. It says, let us consider how to stimulate one another. You know what the word literally means there? How to stir up. Now, some of us are good at stirring up things, but it's not stirring up love and good deeds. Have you heard about so-and-so? Have you? Have you? Let's, let's, let's do our little speech and start stirring things up. You know, oh, you're not good at this, stirring up a little anger. Start talking politics, you know. I'll tell you about my pol political view. And his kingdom shall reign forever and ever. You know, I don't care if you're Republican, Democrat, Green Party, whatever party, uh, as long as you're, you're born on this planet, my party is the kingdom of God. And we will proclaim the goodness of the kingdom of God over any political party. 
We will proclaim the goodness of God over any, anything that this, this earth has because my prayer is this. Lord, may your kingdom come on earth as it is where? In heaven. So I want his kingdom established. And then it says this. We're going to stir up one another to what? To love and good deeds. I tell you, there's something happens to you when someone is bitter and angry and, and full of malice, when you just start covering them with love. You know, they just don't know how to deal with it. And I want to encourage us as believers, as men and women of faith, that you get up there and you just don't stir it up. You get like your shakers and you shake it all up and you get your mixer out there and you get your power blender out there. You get those, you know, the paint buckets, Mark, you use? You know, those five-gallon paint buckets and an electric drill and it's got a big blade on it. You stick it in there and it sprays all over the place. I want us to be people who stir up love everywhere we go. Stir up love to the people that don't know him. Stir up love to people that do know him. And look what it says. And not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, which is the habit of some, but encouraging who? One another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Well, when's the day of the Lord coming? Church has been talking for 2,000 years. Jesus is coming back. Well, you know what? He may be coming back this afternoon for you. Stir it up. I don't know when the Lord's going to return, but I know this. He's going to return. He's either going to part the eastern sky and we're going to all be taken up with him or my number is going to get punched and he's going to say, hey, Dave, time to go home. And that's the day of the Lord for me. But we're called to stir things up, to stimulate an interest in what God has done. You know, it also says this, that in the book of Ephesians, that there are five gifts that God has given to the church. And he gave the gift of apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers and the role that those giftings have to the community of faith is to do this. It is to allow us to be equipped for the work of ministry. Well, no, pastor, you're the one that's called the work of ministry. I'm called to tell you what to do. That's verse 1, chapter 1 of the book of me. That's not in the Gospels. The Gospels are told that we are called to serve others. Every single one of you has a ministry that God wants you to use. Every single one of you has a ministry that you have been uniquely and, and specifically designed and created to fulfill. And if you don't do it, we as a whole are weak. Have you ever baked something, you know, and maybe you used the wrong ingredient or left an ingredient out, you know, I used to make a lot of persimmon cookies because John Clinky would always steal persimmons from his neighbor's yard and he'd bring five-gallon buckets to me. I found this out at his funeral. I thought they were from John's yard. He says his neighbor said, no, he was stealing from my yard. I gave him permission, but he's still stealing them. And uh, I made uh, persimmon cookies. And if you ever go to the Morgan Hill Post Office, one of the postmen down there, his name's Peter, tall, uh, bald guy. Well, I was talking to Peter one day because I was mailing persimmon cookies to my son in Japan when he was stationed there with the military. And uh, I told him what it was. He goes, oh, persimmon cookies. I haven't had them forever. My sister makes the best persimmon cookies. I said, oh, when's the last time you had them? And he goes, oh, it's been many years. She's passed away, and I haven't had them in years. And I felt bad. So every time I would make persimmon cookies, I'd take Peter a plateful, okay? But the last time I made them, I left something out. And they were more like persimmon pancakes. They were like, kind of like persimmon blah. You know, and I just couldn't bear giving him these nasty things 
to scar his memory of his sister. I didn't care what he thought of me, but I didn't want him to take a bite of this and said, man, sis, I really miss you. These things are disgusting. You know? But what I did is I missed an ingredient. And what happened was when you miss an ingredient, it changes the consistency and flavor of something. And when you aren't using the ministry gifts that God has given you, it changes the flavor of what we as a church can do. It changes the opportunity of what we can involve with. And I want to challenge you, whether you're part of this church or another church, or you just pass it on through today, use the giftings that God has given you to advance his kingdom. And you will be shocked and amazed at what will happen when you do that. Because it says, we will build up the body of Christ when? Until we all reach the unity in the faith and knowledge of the Son of God as we mature to the full measure and statue of whom? Of Christ. So when you and I are using our giftings, we actually are maturing in our faith. We are actually maturing in what God's called us to do. We're maturing to be the men and women that God has died for so that we can be representatives of him to the world around us. And then finally, what we could do is we could learn to help others. How many of you like getting help? Sure. You know, you do. I mean, if you're, you're at Home Depot and you're loading a whole bunch of, of, of cement bags in the back of your car, you would be really thankful if someone walked up and said, hey, you need a hand? It's like, no, I don't need a hand. I need a forklift, you know? I need as many hands as I can get, you know? Many hands make slight work. You know, when we help others, what we're doing, we're demonstrating our care and concern for them. And God wants us to be people who are helpful, not harmful, but helpful. We have enough people in this world that are only concerned about themselves. We need people that are willing to step out of their comfort zone and say, you know what, I'm willing to partner with you. I'm willing to do this with you. I'm willing to come alongside of you. You know, look what Scripture says in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 13, 14, and 15. This is an interesting passage of Scripture. Paul is writing to the church in Corinth. This is the ch same church that is very similar to ours. It was a church that was in a culture that was very spiritual, had a lot of influence, wasn't very open to the church world as itself. And, and sometimes in, in the Christian community, we have a lot, and sometimes we have a little. And in this instance, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, the church was going through a little bit of a struggle of a time. But look what the apostle Paul says to the church. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but they might, but listen to this, but, there, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need so that in the time of their, er, didn't have my fifth cup of coffee this morning. At the present time, your plenty will supply... It's going from bad to worse, I think. I used to hear a preacher say, I got so confused, I got my tongue wrapped around my eye tooth, and I couldn't see a word I was saying. All right, so at the present time, your plenty will supply what they need so that in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. The goal is equality. As it is written, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. And that's the whole principle of sharing what we have. You know, one thing I know about culture, one thing I know about history, is we as a church, right now may be in a season of plenty, but we may go through a time of hardship. But this, what we do is we're good stewards of what we have, and we share with those that are going in need. 
So one of the things that we're doing, actually this coming Friday, or Saturday and Sunday afternoon, we as a church, I don't know if you know this, we sowed into an Ethiopian church that's having their first church service this weekend in San Jose. Do you know that? We have sowed into them so that they can have a new facility. They can have a new church that will be specifically designed to meet some, some of their brothers and sisters. And you know what? What we do out of our plenty, we don't keep it for ourselves. We help others with it. You know, there's a principle of they call it the stone soup. How many of you know what stone soup is? Stone soup is when you have, you know, only so much resources, and then all of a sudden your kids bring all their friends home, so what do you do? Pour a little bit more water in the pot. <laughs> Throw a stone in so it looks like there's more there, you know? What we do as brothers and sisters in the kingdom of God is we are called to use the gifts that we have to help one another. We're used to do it so that we have the blessing of blessing others. You know, so many times it's, it, I love getting blessed. One of the things my wife says why I like going to India is because when I go to India in the morning, they serve me breakfast at the thing, you know? At home, she doesn't serve me breakfast. Poor me. She gets up and goes to the gym, leaves me there all by myself. I have to walk downstairs and rummage through the closet until I find something to eat, you know? But when I go to India, I sit down at the table. Those of you that have been with me, what do they do? They bring over chai. Cup after cup after cup after cup of chai. They bring me the food. And they put it all in front of me. They, would you like some toast? Yes. Would you like butter? Yes. I would like some marmalade as well. Oh, yes, sir. And they bring it over and leave it all to me, you know? How many of you like that kind of service? I mean, we get spoiled like that. But you know, there's an there's a other side of that equation is the person that they know that they're serving others, they're doing out of love. Sometimes they're doing out of obligation, but a lot of times they're doing out of love. And I tell you, when you see me eat Indian food, you know I love it. And, and, and most people, when you like to cook, if, if someone's just eating all your food up, they're grubbing up, they're not even worrying about dropping it because nothing's going to hit the table because it's like a shop back over the plate, right? You get blessed because you see them enjoying it. Well, I'll tell you what, the kingdom of God people, when we are serving others, we're blessing them. And God wants us to bless them. God wants us to, to pour out our love to them. Because helping other people is a demonstration of the love of God. Look what it says in Galatians chapter 6, verse 10. Therefore, as we have the opportunity, well, pastor, you don't know. I didn't have that opportunity this week. No, you didn't look for the opportunity. You see, an opportunity doesn't come up and like slap you in the face like a wet tuna. An opportunity is when you're looking for it. I'm looking for an opportunity to bless someone. Uh, you know? I remember years ago, they used to say, just do a random act of kindness. Don't do a random act of kindness. Do an intentional act of kindness. Do an intentional act where you demonstrate the love of Jesus to someone that may not deserve it or may not think they deserve it. But it says, when you have the opportunity, let us do good to who? Some people, just the people like us. No, to all people. And then he's, he tags on at the end there, hey, especially those that are part of the body of, of, of Christ, especially those that are believers. You see, we are called as a church to proclaim the message of salvation. And many times we have to do it in ways that are not conveyed by words. A lot of times our actions will speak louder than our words. You could talk to someone about how much you love Jesus, but if, if you're not demonstrating it to them, your words are empty. 
We are called as a community of faith. I walked in here this morning and took that picture before any of you got in here. And I took that picture and I said, this is what we're called to do. We're called to be in a house that is open for anyone who wants to come in so we could demonstrate the love of Christ to them. And I want to challenge us that God would baptize us anew with a spirit of love for the people that he puts in our path. You know, God wants you and I to love people in such a way that it is almost overbearing on them. You know, have you ever been smothered by affection? Yes, one hand. Good husband over there. You know, the rest of us are jealous. But when you're smothered by affection, what happens? You feel so blessed. Man, I am so well taken care of. You know, my wife, she is really good at planning trips for me. I'm a much better pastor when she takes me away for a little bit. You should thank her. You should rise up and call her blessed. She, she needs to have a first lady chair up here, a lazy boy with a, a cooler of ice water and then, you know, maybe a, a, a vanilla latte at 180 degrees sitting there, a little warmer for it, you know, because she does things to bless me. And when she does things to bless me, I'm a better person. Let me tell you, when you do things to bless others, you're a better person. When you do things that are not self-serving, but are kingdom-serving, you are a much better person. And I want to pray that God would just baptize us. Worship team, you want to come on up? I'm praying that God will just baptize each and every one of us with a new spirit of love for the people he's allowed us to come in contact with. You know, part of being an open-door policy church is we open our doors for whoever, and we just love them with the love of Jesus. How many of you need more love in your life? Lord, right now, we just pray for each and every person that's here that, God, you would baptize us. Lord, we've been saved. We've been set apart. Now I pray you would baptize us with a spirit of love like we've never known before. I pray that, God, we would stir up one another for good works. I pray that, God, our hearts would be open to people that may be very different than us, but we could demonstrate the love of a God who died, who sent his son, Jesus Christ, who was crucified, died, and resurrected, that we could demonstrate that kind of love to people. I pray that, God, you fill our hearts to overflowing with love, that when we're squeezed at work, what comes out of us is the love of Christ. I pray that, God, you would fill our hearts with such compassion for others, Lord, that when we're, we're pressed, the love of Christ comes out. I pray that, God, we would, we would take on an attitude of not just doing a random act of kindness to people, but, God, we would be very intentional of just serving, helping, and loving others. I pray that, God, we would be filled with your presence. I pray that the Holy Spirit would give us opportunities, Lord. Let our eyes see things that other people don't see. Let our ears hear things that other people don't hear. Lord, let us be placed in positions at the exact same time where a need is presented that we know we could step in and fill the gap with. And I pray for each and every one of us, God, no matter how young or matter how old we are in our faith, no matter how many problems we think we have or how much we think we have it together, that, God, we can be a community of believers that loves you and loves others. And I pray, God, that you would just pour out your love upon us in an incredible way. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Prayer teams, if you can come and be ready. If you need some prayer, the prayer teams are available to you. I want you to know that 
you have to be countercultural. You have to be. And part of your journey as a believer, as a oak of righteousness, as a strong believer, is saying, you know what, Lord? What needs to change in me, Lord? What needs to change? Every time you grow, you cannot grow and remain the same. You have to change to grow. Is that true? Yes, it's true. So we ask the Lord, Lord, what needs to change, Father, in me so I grow deeper in you? Lord, may I not have any sort of resistance or self-righteousness or think uh, a block things, Lord, or, or, or resist conviction. But, Lord, that we receive your word and say, okay, I need to grow in this area. I need to surrender this area. I need to not be selfish in this area. I need to give in this area of my life. Lord, we want to grow. We want to grow deeper in you. We want to grow in our love for others. We want to grow in our witness and testimony to this world because there are so many people that need you. They need to know the authentic love of Jesus Christ. So, Lord, as you have spoken today, may as we leave this place, may we consider the word that was spoken and say, okay, Lord, how do I need to grow? And we thank you, Father, for your word in your name. Amen. God bless you as you go.